0: Here is iUniverse
1: Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Exodus Into Evil, a collection of short horror stories. And the author is Stanley J. Brzezicki. And Stan joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Stan. Hi there, Steve. Well, this is not for the faint of heart. We'll start there. <laughs> this exodus into evil. This is what you say about your book, a new collection of horror stories by a new author, stories that are dark and ironically twisted from the imagination of Stan Brazicki. You also say evil lurks among us in the blackness of a moonlit forest, a wolf howls in the dank space of a cluttered basement. Something hides in the shadow in your own backyard. A hungry creature wants to kill you. Stan, some may say, boy, why do you think this way, Stan? <laughs> You're a real nice guy. What what? <laughs> How did this all start? Well, um, it all started.
2: Uh, I wrote, I read Stephen King's book on writing. And Entity challenged the readers to write their own short story. And so I gave it a try. And I was 50 at the time when I read his book. I've always been a fan of his. And he told the readers, send your stories to this website. Well, the the website was discontinued because he got so many stories. I didn't want to stop writing. So I had about 25 ideas for stories. And I wrote, I picked about 14 of them, 13, 14 of them, and just kept elaborating on them until they were complete stories. Um, Some of my inspiration came from, uh, for instance, uh, when you mentioned the one, uh, something lurking in the dark that wants to kill you. Uh, That comes from um, the unknown factor, and uh, one of the people I dedicated the book to, uh, Linda Fuller, she has a a piece of property with a lot of forested land on it, and when she walks through it, she finds, you know, animal parts and things. She brought a couple of teeth into me, and they were jagged and sharp-edged, and Pretty large, and as I was looking at it, I got the idea about an animal that was genetically engineered. <laughs> and uh, it's very fun for me to write horror. I I just have a a, a ball writing horror stories. It's just plain
1: fun. Just it's just plain fun to scare us to death. That's the, pur- yeah. that's the purpose, right? Yeah, the idea the <laughs> idea that someone is could be
2: reading this story and go going, Oh my god, or you know, maybe have goosebumps when they get to the the end and just go, Wow. <laughs> or that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be the best one. <laughs>
1: Well, you say in your book you will meet demons, vampires who help a story writer, werewolves, the good and the bad. Yes, there are two kinds. And did you ever wonder how a witch becomes a witch? Well, let's talk about that. How does a witch become a witch? Tell us a little about that and uh, without giving everything away, obviously. Well, uh,
2: that's in the story November one. And it has to do with uh, three young kids. Uh, They're about 12 years old. And they notice some very peculiar things about their next door neighbor's home. Uh, When they look at it, everything seems very dark, uh, no matter which way they look at it from. And the scarecrow in the lady's yard seems to move every once in a while. The lady makes all sorts of desserts. And one time they're invited in to share some of these desserts. And the two boys, it's two boys and a girl. The two boys, uh, actually fall asleep eating these desserts. The girl doesn't. And it's, turns out that that's a test and to find out who could possibly be a witch and it it goes into her teaching and indoctrination by the lady next door who is actually a witch and has some relatives that are other unusual things
1: you say there are monsters everywhere and they usually show up when you least expect it yes um I think that's even true today
2: um, we see things in the news that you know we can't even imagine people doing everything from serial serial killers to um, mass murders uh, people that take body parts um, people you know they look like an everyday normal person until their neighbors find out about it or uh, they're caught by the authorities or whatever. Uh, Those are one type of monster. Um, Those are the ones that are around today. My book deals with the monsters that you don't see. (laughs) Um, And I kind of introduce people to, through my stories to the monsters that my imagination comes up with.
1: You also say that writing a horror story is like looking into a dark recess of your mind and see what jumps out at you. Most people wouldn't want to go there, but you find that kind of, of exciting, I guess. Yes, I do. Um, some of my inspirations um
2: i came up with i just close my eyes at night and just let my mind drift and all of a sudden there'll be a an idea will pop into my mind uh the the catchphrase, what if and when i start thinking what if just all these images start coming to me um what if a scientists decided to engineer humans to regress along evolutionary lines to become cro again, but he implants computer chips so that they're under his command and they can go berserk at any time, and it turns out he has several labs producing them and uh that that is from the story called evolution and the uh, detectives that think they finally have things solved end up realizing at the last minute that uh there's one more lab out there and they don't know where it is
1: well, the best words to describe these stories: compelling, twisted, horror. And you really value this this twist, don't you? It's that twist that catches everybody by surprise.
2: Yes, I do. I I tried to put at least one or more things into each of the stories that uh, makes makes a twist to the whole idea. We've all been indoctrinated into what are vampires, what are werewolves, uh, you know, what's good, what's bad. Um, I like to kind of shake things up and well, like in um, Who Am I? Uh, Yes, there are good and bad werewolves. And how do you tell them apart? And what do you do when you find out that you're one of them? (laughs) So, I mean, that's that's a pretty big shock. That is a big shock, Yeah, You have have a six-foot-tall werewolf, (laughs) and it's you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's hard to hang around the uh, local store when... (laughs) When, when you have a little yep. bit of a different look to you than most people have seen. Now, you also, uh, you say you like to, like you've already talked about, let your mind wander and see what your subconscious comes up with. You, it even shocks you sometimes. Yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> uh, I actually
2: uh, am putting out a, a new book, in the middle of writing it, uh, I was thinking about where do I go from here and I was thinking what would be really unusual uh that would be more along the lines of a little bit of a little bit of truth going on, but also have an element of horror to it, and it just Popped into my head. Uh, a teenage kid has all these behavioral problems. They say it's ADHD or men- some mental retardation. What it actually is is as he goes into adolescence, his um, brain, for a special reason, starts. Most of us use only 5 or 10% of our brains in our lifetime. He's using all of his. So all his mental abilities, including all the special ones, like telekinesis and receiving uh, impressions from uh, objects, start coming into play when he's an adolescent. And uh, along in the book, he comes in contact with a family of serial killers. And, you know, that's kind of where my
1: mind went. <laughs> and you call that fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it, it's an adventure. I'll put it that way. So <laughs> where it'll finally end up. So what do your friends say about this uh, side of you, Stan? Um well <laughs> um one of my friends,
2: some of my friends thought I was crazy to start writing a book at my age Um, they told me nah it's a pipe dream and I'm a very determined person when I set out to do something uh, I do it Uh, I procrastinate sometimes a little bit but uh, I, I go and you know If I want to do something, like write a book, I do it. And as a matter of fact, I'm looking at, in the future, writing at least two more, maybe three more books, and I believe they'll all be novels.
1: So your goal, when anyone is reading your book, you want to make us go, wow, that was creepy. Yes, (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) it. (laughs) You've hit a if home I run. That, I succeeded. You've hit a home run when that happens to the reader. That's right. My ultimate goal is to get
2: one book on a bestsellers list sometime in the future.
1: Well, that's a great goal. And it uh, sounds like you're going to keep uh, fine tuning this art, this art of writing horror stories, the title of your book, Exodus into evil, a collection of short horror stories and, uh, this is Stanley J. Brzezinski. Stan, tell us how to get your book. Well, um, you can
2: get it on the iUniverse website. And uh, that is at www.iUniverse.com. And that's a, a letter I. And uh, the paperback version is selling for... Eleven ninety five, and the hardcover is selling for 2.195. From what I understand in the future other uh, outlets are going to uh, be picking it up and I don't know about when, but probably places like amazon.com and such.
1: Well thank you Stan. thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. you yes, Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio, plus your chance to win great prizes. All the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intricasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show. Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intricasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on TogiNet.com. Evermore. People have the means to live, but no meaning to live for.
0: to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Forbidden Tome, Hansel and Gretel's True Tale. And the author is Jeffrey Underwood, and Jeff joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jeff. Steve, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great, and this is going to be an interesting discussion because you've kind of taken this fairy tale about Hansel and Gretel, and as you put it, uh, kind of uh, took it upside down and sideways, and and, uh, it's it's much different, Uh, but in your mind, why did you do it that way? Uh, Let me, first of all, though, read something that you've written. You say, read this book, and you'll find yourself on a ride that you won't soon forget. It's about lost children, desperate parents conflicted vampires steamy yet loving sex and a mystery that will perplex you until it is revealed to you well that little paragraph we could just stop right there and just talk about that
4: oh, <laughs> sounds good to me
1: why did you take this fantasy of hansel and gretel and take this approach
4: well i took this approach actually a number of reasons, but the very first one that comes to my mind is this friend of mine who has seen some of my earlier writing, which I've never completed and never published, um, and she likes my writing. She got me to read a couple of authors, and these authors, um, uh, one of the authors he takes some fairy tales and spins them around. And that seemed like just a really nice outside of the box uh, uh way of doing things. And then the second author that my muse uh, introduced me to um also took a fairy tale and really reworked it. And she included, the author included, a uh, heck of a lot of uh, eroticism. And I thought that was a great idea, too. So between those two ideas, I thought, okay, um, what fairy tale do I like? And how can I really think of it differently? And how can I also add some eroticism? And Hansel and Gretel seemed like the most innocent fairy tale, and therefore it was probably the best um, fairy tale that I I saw my material working into and so pretty much that's um, where I was at in terms of picking Hansel and Gretel. In terms of writing at all, I come from a family of authors, and I'm about 61 years old, and I hadn't authored anything, and I figured it was my turn, and so um, between the two authors that my muse introduced me to and my wanting to write because I come from a family of writers. That's what, um, set me on a forward path to, to do this book. One very last thing too, is I have always had an interest in making sure in my life at least. And now I'd sort of like to share that attitude with people out there. And that is that, uh, sex and sexuality is nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to hide in the dark. It's nothing to just hint at or be ignorant about. It's something that's actually very lovely and um, promotes uh, communication and um, understanding between people if done in a healthy manner. And I just wanted to write a book that showed how healthy eroticism could be. So that's pretty much... um, the paths that move me toward this.
1: And we need to right at this point, make sure everyone understands that any of this eroticism has nothing to do with the children, Hansel and Gretel.
4: Absolutely not. I mean, I, I have zero tolerance for that, that kind of interaction. Hansel and Gretel are at all times screened from anything, um, obvious or actually they're screened from any kind of erotic scene they they basically are not that significant in the book actually and they they are sort of absent from the book throughout a lot of it although they obviously are the mechanism that uh, starts the adventure so um so yeah absolutely right steve i i would never never write Something like that, and I would never want to. It goes against my grain.
1: The setting is nineteenth-century Germany, in the deeper forests, plateaus, and rivers of that country. And Hansel and Gretel's father and stepmother are fighting in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, the stepmom just flees the cottage in anger. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically.
4: I can't exactly say why she flees the cottage in anger, because that is going to start to unravel the plot. And so I want to leave some mystery here, but yes, there's there's a bone of contention between um, Hansel and Gretel's father and Hansel and Gretel's stepmother, and the stepmother in anger, and this is in the middle of the night, um goes out and wants to walk off her anger and she doesn't know the forest very well and so what happens is is Hansel and Gretel overhear this argument and they're afraid that their stepmother's going to get lost so they uh jump out their window and and go try and find the stepmother but as it turns out the children get lost and the stepmother does not and so as a stepmother comes back to the cottage, and she and her husband make amends, they realize the children are gone, and then they go chasing after the children. And that's how the whole adventure um, unfolds.
1: Now, when we think of a vampire, uh, we don't have very good thoughts about such a (laughs) crazy kind of creature beyond comprehension, really. But in this case, the vampire actually is decent, as you say. You'd like to go against the norm. Well, yeah.
4: I I sort of figure if I go absolutely with the norm, um, hey, nobody will be interested. But but beyond that, that's just sort of me. I just sort of like to uh, go against the grain. Um, I've done that my whole life. I've been a Male RN in a, in a definitely female dominated, uh, profession. And so my whole lifestyle has been to definitely, um, be a creative thinker and an outside the box thinker. And, um, so I did that with vampires and werewolves because I figured it would be a, a real challenge, um, to make concepts like vampires and werewolves. Um, concepts that most people think of as about as evil as you can get, I just sort of thought, wow, it would be really interesting to see what I could do to make readers sympathetic or empathetic to these characters by way of making these characters actually human in, in the way that they um, emote. So yeah, I I took some vampires and uh, werewolf, and I made them good and bad. But as they progressed, they're good. in most of the characters dominated. So yeah, I I just like to I like to do that. I like to surprise people.
1: But she still is a vampire. <laughs>
4: oh yeah, she's still a vampire. So basically, she has to, as all vampires do, um, she has to feed. So, exactly. so in the course of needing her, her shot of blood, um, yeah, she kills people. Um,
1: and, <laughs> but she does have I some redeeming sort of, value. That's what you're trying to say, I guess.
4: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Actually, that's, what's really amusing about this, this, um, primary vampire. Um, her name's Victoria and and she is very conflicted. She did not want to be turned in the first place. And that's a whole nother story. But, uh, um, yeah, she, she really rebels against her being a vampire. She really liked what she was about before she was turned. And, uh, so she's conflicted in this whole thing. And she actually ends up partnering with, uh, the father and stepmother in helping, genuinely helping to find, um, if they're able uh hands on Gretel so yeah she's she's uh she's a very sympathetic character
1: in fact, she actually finds the children and takes care of them, but of course, as you like to keep uh, ever changing and twisting, of course, the children are kidnapped again yeah exactly
4: exactly, and so that's the real mystery of the story i mean it it's very obvious. That Hansel and Gretel are lost, that Hansel and Gretel are um, are then assisted by Victoria, but then the children, well, Victoria is in her um, sarcophagus uh, having to, you know, be unconscious during the light of day. The children then get kidnapped, and so the mystery is who kidnapped Hansel and Gretel from... Victoria, the vampire. So, um, you know, there's a mystery in this, too. So it's not just, it's not all thematic. It's not all about evolving from bad to good. It's a lot about, you know, sort of just solving a little mystery and, and having fun with that. So it's it's, if you want to just read to escape, you can do that if you want to read for the sexiness. You can do that if you want to read to get deeper meaning out of it. You can do that too. So it's it's a pretty good to go book, I think.
1: And also, just to enjoy the theme that optimism trumps over pessimism. Yes, I do. And and one of well,
4: I don't think I could have been a nurse if um, I had been a pessimistic person. Because essentially being a nurse, you're in the field of healing and fundamentally taking care of people and ultimately making them independent in their own function. And and what more optimistic activity as a profession could someone do? Um, It's just it's. It's where I like to go. That's not to say there haven't been pessimistic times in my life, and that's why I think I understand the bad too. I've had to, uh, I've had to battle those aspects in my life most definitely. And yet, at the same time, where I'm at at this particular age, when I wrote this particular book, um, I just, man, that's in spite of the economy and the turmoil and you know a lot of fundamental pessimism out there. Um I I just see living as as wonderful, beautiful, progressive and and that everybody if they could sort of stop take time uh look at the the skyline and and understand that they're alive and the world's beautiful. I think that'd be great.
1: Also, you're a Quaker. How did your Quaker background influence the oh. book?
4: <laughs> My Quaker background, well, well that there's two things in that. One is, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about Quakers. Um, they're also called friends, and if you think about them as friends, that's that's easier. Um, number one, uh, their belief is that the spirit of God is within everybody. Um, they don't have any uh, mediators like priests and bishops, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they just say God's inside of you and then you operate according to the message that you get. And so that's a lot of what's inside my characters is that is that uh, God like influence that moves them toward uh, a better lifestyle. But but the other thing is is absolutely um Quakers are nonviolent. And so um even though I had to put some violence in the book um, I myself am nonviolent, and I move toward the idea of peace. And um, I also don't write violence very well. <laughs> it's just funny, but I can write all kinds of other things. But violence is just hard for me. So um, anyhow, that that influenced the book in the fact that that particular religion very much advocates um, progression toward the good, and it also very much um, advocates nonviolence. And so that's, even though the book is about vampires and werewolves, those are the two principal premises of my book, and that is progression toward good and nonviolence.
1: We have enough time for a closing thought. Jeff, give us one about your book.
4: Well, I guess what I'd like to say is if one were to simply go by the title, the cover of the book, um, and make an assumption that it's not for them, um, I would like to say that the book is actually a real gem about the healthiness of life um the healthiness of the idea of cooperation between individuals and the healthiness of of a non-ashamed approach to sexuality and um i guess my very last thought would be that um my book in terms of its eroticism because that's a very important part of the book uh is better than romance novels cuz it doesn't hide anything and it's also better than pornography because all of the eroticism has heart. It, it all has feeling, it all has, you know, some, some fundamental beauty in the process of sharing. And, um, the very last thing I'd like to say is, uh, I thank you very much, Steve, for the opportunity for this interview. And, uh, Um, whatever audience listens to this interview, I very much um, appreciate them and and ask them to give this book a chance. Jeff, tell us how to get your book. Well, right now there's there's a number of avenues. Um, The easiest avenue is to go to Amazon.com and basically in their little search box, just put in Jeffrey Underwood, Forbidden Tome. The book will come up either for print-on-demand hard copy or as an e-book if you happen to have a Kindle or a Nook or whatever. And um, there's also a sampling of about the first, I would say, quarter of the book, to be honest. And you can check that out before you buy anything. And if you don't like it, well, obviously don't buy it, but I would think most people would like it. And so... Um, Amazon's good Avenue Um, Barnes & Noble is another good Avenue Um, uh, the books are all on demand print on demand so that means there are none on the bookshelves Um, you have to purchase it and then the printer prints it and sends it out to you
1: well thank you Jeff thanks for being with us on on iUniverse Radio I very much enjoyed it and very much enjoyed this so thank you Steve Jeffrey Underwood. He is the author of his book, Forbidden Tome, Hansel and Gretel's True Tale.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
5: How to invest, where to invest, where to save, where to get the right insurance, what to do about taxes, should I relocate my business or ever purchase a property? That's where Go To My Radio Show comes in. Join host Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals Go to My Radio Show is unbiased and Chris Holt your host will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices Go to My Radio Show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future and most of all choosing the right program and the right professional for you go to my radio show with chris holt tuesday afternoons at one pacific three central on go to my hey moms juggle your hats with our mom of many hats
3: angie Mazillo, friday afternoons at five eastern four central on the mom to mom network moms are always juggling their hats Show and Angie, check out her website, azmomofminnyhats.com. She is a strong woman, she is powerful, she is wonderful, and she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network.
0: Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book. They Shall Bear You Up, Memories of a Catholic Priest. And the author is Faulkner Joseph Hart, a senior, and uh, we welcome Joseph to iUniverse Radio. Hello. Hello, Steve. Good to have you with us, Joseph. Uh, This is quite a story. It's your story, your memoirs of uh, your life as a priest, and also right from the early beginnings when you were nine years old. But before we get into some of the details, let me read a couple of things that you have written. In this memoir, Joseph narrates his journey to priesthood, from answering the call to walking the roads with the Lord, proclaiming his kingdom, listening to him in one's heart, and going among his people with compassion and love. Also, you write, a testimony of faith, they shall bear you up, emphasizes that as human beings, we are never alone, and that for those who wish to carry out God's will in their lives, nothing is impossible with God. Well, those are great uh, words and uh, something we should all be thinking about it in everyday life, shouldn't we? Well, they're straight from St. Luke, so uh, you can't go wrong on that. <laughs> you can't go wrong. <laughs> well, Joseph, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book.
6: Well, I've been a priest for 50 years, uh, I, uh, I'm retired now living in, in Orlando, Florida and uh, I've had a very very full life, a very fulfilling life as well. You might say that I'm a a very happy person, and uh, life has been good to me. I've had my ups and downs, but uh, the priesthood has been uh, a joyous, joyous call for me, and uh, it took uh, different twists on the road to get me there. Uh, but uh, I followed the the road, so to speak, and sometimes it was the road less traveled. But uh, I, nevertheless, uh, we got there, and then uh, the Lord called me to uh, do work that I would never have foreseen in, in my wildest dreams as regards... Uh, the erection of this shrine, Basilica in Orlando, it was not planned, of course, to be a, a Basilica. In case you, you're wondering what a Basilica is, Steve, it's a, it's a church that is uh, particularly uh, noticed by, by Rome, by the Holy Father in Rome. And uh, it's given a a special title, the title of basilica. A basilica church, in other words, is a church that really is under the auspices of the Pope himself. And if the Holy Father, for example, were to come to Florida, uh, this church here in Orlando would be one of the churches he would come to because it's a basilica. And uh, you might say it's his church, but I had no notion that we would, I would see that in my own lifetime, or that I would that an inter- incident like that would take place. We were trying to really fulfil the needs of the tourists, and you know, Walt Disney World opened in 1970 or 71. I think it was 71 actually, and uh, suddenly, you know, thousands of people began to throng to Orlando. And uh, the Disney World uh, Empire is really located outside the city and away from the uh, away from the churches and so on. So we had to do something for the tourists. Bishop Grady asked me if I would do something for the tourists, and we began uh, that work in 1975, and uh, it led to the completion of, the, of what's now the Basilica of Mary, Queen of the Universe.
1: You make, you make comments about, in light of some of the uh, controversy, some of the news about priests, Catholic priests who have struggled, uh, and often people won't step forward. Men won't step forward uh, because of that. Parents aren't encouraging. Uh, uh, What are your feelings about that? Well, sometimes, I
6: I think, you know, I think that sometimes, and I've seen it once or twice, where parents discourage their sons from becoming priests or uh, advise them at least to delay it for a while until they experience the... Secular life for a while, and uh, that results in the normally in the young man never coming back again to, to the priesthood. Occasionally they do, but I think uh, the vocations have gone down in the church. That's one of the reasons I think that the that vocations in the church have, have diminished is because uh, young men are are sort of uh, warned off uh, by those they love and those who love them to. Uh, be careful, so to speak, as if it were something, a very dangerous uh, sort of a calling. And, in, and as against that, it's it's a very wonderful calling. It's a, a calling that can bring great fulfillment and uh, uh, great satisfaction to one's life if one stays close to God.
1: Your book is filled with many and varied stories, and you show that the priesthood is not for weaklings.
6: Well, that's true, you know, again, the church is is very human, you know, it's it's divinely founded, but it's made up of human beings, and it's certainly divinely inspired, and the Holy Spirit is with us, but uh, we are still human beings, and uh, uh, you are going to come across all the variations of humanity uh, within the church that you may come across within the secular world. And the fact that somebody's ordained a priest does not change his nature. So uh, th- that's the the other side of it. So you have to be prepared to uh, deal with these problems when they come, uh, w- when you meet them, and uh, that uh, you got you're going to have to be ready to sort of face them down and to know who you are yourself as you come up against them.
1: It seems that your book is very comprehensive. It's over three hundred pages long, and as we've already pointed out, many stories, uh, varied stories. let's talk about a few just to give people an understanding of of how you decided to uh, choose certain uh, experiences. Now you talk about marcia uh, Peter Zack, is that right yeah, That's right yes Marcia or Marcia. Marcia, Marcia Peter and she gets her own chapter now. Tell us about why you did this.
6: Because I believe, you know, as you go through life, uh, people uh, you meet people who have uh, a particularly effect for good upon you. And at that particular time, I, if you read the chapters before that, which I'm sure you have anyway, uh, I had come through a rather dark corridor in my life, and. Uh, I tended to sort of lessen my belief in human beings up to a point. And when she came on, uh, she was like a breath of fresh air. She had a a very positive outlook on life, and she had uh, and has a very deep Catholic faith. And uh, she was a lady and is a lady who knows exactly where she's going. And uh, I was stumbling in, in many ways at the time because I had sort of developed a mistrust of, of you might say, of human nature because of the storm I'd been through. And uh, she came on the scene, and as I relate in the book, you know, she she quickly, her her whole attitude quickly turned me around and quickly showed me that, uh, hey, you know, I need to get off this fence and start uh, stop being sorry for myself and get with it. And uh, I would say that she had uh, an awful lot to do with uh, with uh, the, you might say, the development of my priestly life thereafter, by the way, by her own attitude and by her faith.
1: Well, people can have a profound effect upon us, especially when we're maybe seeking uh, more about ourselves or going through some uh, challenging times. Uh, now this basilica of the national shrine of mary queen of the universe and of course it's well known now throughout the united states and even abroad give us some of the challenges the obstacles when you first uh did you did you catch a vision of this right at the beginning or did it kind of evolve
6: well it didn't evolve no you might say in a sense that it was a vision that it, uh, it was uh, something that developed uh, We, you see we started uh, the. Uh, all these thousands of people were coming to Orlando there was no church uh, anywhere near the, the theme park complexes and uh, so we were going around to hotels we had made arrangements with hotels for masses in the hotels and you know as I mentioned in the book I tell stories about some where some of those masses took place, and so on. But it was it was obvious that this couldn't go on forever. You know the, that the numbers would grow. This was back in 1975, 76, 77, and it was very obvious that the the numbers would grow, and that uh, we would have to get a facility of our own in some way or other. So having having uh, that idea that, that that the certainty that we had to do something. We decided why not do something really good, something worthwhile. That uh, if uh, Cinderella, who's a, a fairy tale, could have a castle, you know, why couldn't why couldn't the Lord of Love have his own place too, and make it really worthwhile for Catholics all over the world to come and see? And that's how the whole notion sort of started
1: now your book again starts from your early beginnings and of course talks about your upbringing your experiences of the Irish strife against the british now what kind of an impact did that have on you well it
6: depends on how you you know how i would accept that uh, question uh, It had an impact and that you know i came from uh my father was uh, he came from a rebel family i tell the story there of his brother in the book What happened to him and uh, how he was treated? And uh, if you've seen the movie "The Wind That Shakes the Barley," uh, that was him—the man who was who was uh, who was captured and tortured. Uh, That was that man. My father was uh, a very quiet man, the kind of man you wouldn't expect to uh, be—you might say—a rebel. But uh, he was a very quiet man. But nevertheless, he had very firm beliefs, and he uh, believed very much in the freedom of the individual. And he believed, of course, in the freedom of Ireland as well, and so did his family. And as a result of that, I think those, uh, all of that, was passed on to to his family. So, of course, I grew up with that too. And uh, so I grew up with the, that whole notion of the uniqueness of the individual, and that we are all uh, uh, we're all special, and that we all have our own rights and and should be treated accordingly.
1: Were there many, uh, was there much opposition against what has become the Basilica, and if there were, why?
6: Well, in the beginning, well, that's one of the, I've never, there was a lot of opposition at the beginning. It was sort of a subterranean uh, uh, opposition, if you like, but it was there, it was very strongly there. Uh, I think, uh, I suppose, in a way, the idea was big. You know, the idea was, was sort of, very new and uh, it was therefore uh, something that people had to latch on to and on top of that uh, you always get the the very human side where people are tend to be jealous or say well why is he doing that or uh, who does he think he is or you know no prophet is accepted in his own country and that led to uh, a varied amount of, of opposition. Now, the bishop, of course, uh, was very good at the time. The bishop was a really good man, and he supported the idea, and he approved of the idea. But uh, there were people within his, his office who were, uh, I would say, were very much against it, and, and would have liked to have, have torpedoed the whole idea of they could.
1: And there was even an investigation about the church?
6: That was afterwards. That was a whole different administration. That was uh, that was the mystery. Uh, that was the the investigation came after I retired. It was a uh, an investigation into my uh, methods of administration. And uh, I never heard any more about the investigation, which means that it it died on the vine. Obviously, uh, that uh, as I said in the book is one of those mysteries of life that uh, somebody had an idea somewhere and it, as I said as I mentioned it's uh, the human thing again possibly of jealousy or uh, I'm going to get even or you know I, I have no notion why that t- took place but uh, I wasn't notified it seemed to be against every uh, every rule in the book and you know, of fair play and everything else but you know life is like that at times and uh, as I said, uh, all I did was laugh at the end of it because there was uh, there. Uh, my time at the Basilica was, was ended. My job was done, and I was now retired. So it didn't really matter what what decisions were come to, and apparently, no decisions were come to because I never had any further communication on it at all.
1: Joseph, we have about a minute left. Uh, give us some concluding thoughts about your life and your memoirs, your book.
6: Well, I, I think that I've had a great life. I've been blessed to meet some wonderful, wonderful people. And I, as I say in the book, I'm a different person now to the man who began my priesthood, and I'm a different person to the man who began work on the tourist ministry in Orlando because of all the wonderful faith and the wonderful enthusiasm for the kingdom of God in the people that I've met. and. Uh, the people who helped me to build the shrine are very, very unique people, and uh, it was sort of a miracle in a sense that all of these people happened to be there just when they were needed, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to my grave with, with gratitude to God for uh, having blessed me with with uh, the success and with the friends and, and uh, with all the graces that were poured into my life.
1: The title of the book, They Shall Bear You Up, Memories of a Catholic Priest. And the author is Faulkner Joseph Hart. Joseph, tell us how to get your book.
6: Well, it's uh, published by iUniverse and I presume it will be on, uh, available on, in some of the bookstores and also, of course, on Amazon.com and some of the other uh, internet uh, resources or sources.
1: Well, thank you, Joseph. Thanks so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio.
6: And thank you, Steve.
0: iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.